A reading from the epistle of 1 Peter. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Paul. I'm the lead pastor here at the DI Fellowship. Uh, before we begin and look at God's word, I want to share a celebration with you. Um, can we have Trenton and Brooke come forward? And can you bring this new precious gift forward with you? Okay, so we're not going to clap. We're going to snap. Here's why we're snapping in just a minute. I'll tell you when to snap. Trenton is our director of worship, and Trenton and Brooke just had their first baby, Colette Durham. And uh, it's her first time to worship with us ever this morning. And so as they come forward, there's baby Colette. We're just going to do some snaps and welcome. Isn't this amazing? Oh my goodness. Oh, can everyone see? One more snap. First baby born in our staff here, so I'm going to say a quick prayer of thanks. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Colette and for the Durhams and this wonderful new gift. May uh, she be welcomed into this family as you welcome us into your family with everlasting love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. All right, let's get serious. I'm trying not to wake her up. I'd feel so guilty. All right, as we prepare to dive into God's word, I'm going to share one more word of prayer, so please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we make our way through this book of 1 Peter, I want to begin with kind of a tough question, okay? And it's this. When was the last time someone you loved tried to harm your soul? 
You know, not this last Tuesday, but the Tuesday before this happened in my home, here's what happened. It started with a simple statement, Mama, I don't feel well. And when you hear those words from your kid, those are words of terror. Listen, it started with a cough <coughs> as we're going to bed. Then it spiked with a fever, 102, Blaze, our middle son. Then it continued with vomiting all through the night. And then multiple days off school, five days this kid ran a fever, and he had flu A, the influenza. And by his good grace and gifts, he passed it on to the general giant who's not here today, Caden. And he also had the flu for five days. And then our dar darling little daughter, Sailor, contracted the flu. So we had this flu virus in our house for like 10 days. And it goes something like this. <laughs> wipe, wipe. And I'm like, please, for the love of God. And they say, don't cough in your hands anymore because then you shake hands. So you don't want to do that. So you're supposed to cough, supposed to cough in your elbow. That does not work. And it's gross. So it's getting all over the house. They're walking down the stairs. They're coughing on the railings. And I'm like, Lord, have mercy. So I'm walking around all the last 10 days. Now, spray it, Lysol. One time, true story, I walked upstairs. They were both, Blaze and Caden, they share a room. Um, they're coughing. I'm like, okay, I got to go in there. <laughs> Covered my face. I threw something in there. I was like, stay alive, right? <laughs> and they haven't run a fever for several days. They still have this cough going on. The gentle giant does at least. At one point, I'm making a sandwich I'm worn out as a dad. Any worn out parents in the house? Oh my gosh, right? Life's hard enough, right? So I'm making this cold cut sandwich and I'm so proud of it. I got my salami, my turkey, my cheese. Anytime any of these kids touch anything, I had my Lysol, I had my Clorox wipes, and I had the germ stuff. I, I, three, you know, three layers of protection. You're not gonna bring that evil on me. I love you, stay away from me. So I'm making the sandwich. I turn to the fridge. The only kid in the kitchen is Blaze. He just finished ramen noodles, and uh, he's putting them in the sink, and he spills them all over my sandwich. And I'm like, are you trying to kill me? Right? And then I look, and my daughter walks in, and she's wearing a Tampa Bay Buccaneers jersey, which is a glorious thing, with the name of Levante David. The problem is she's been wearing it for three or four days. And I'm like, Take that toxic jersey off. You trying to kill me? Don't get near me. And listen, somehow Carly and I, we survived without the flu. Praise God. So I'm here to share with you today. Um, but the image of taking off clothing that's not only bad for you but bad for another is the image we see in this passage today. And we'll dive into that. Uh, ultimately, how we relate to one another is of vital importance. We'll see as we unpack this passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. The big idea, the big takeaway is this. Uh, if we have tasted God's goodness, Peter says, we will display God's glory. If we've tasted God's goodness, if we know Jesus in our life, we will display God's glory. And then Peter just issues three bold declarations that change everything for that audience and our audience here today. He says, first, 
Friends, you are God's family. Second, you are God's temple. Third, you are God's people. So we're going to dive into these three declarations this morning. First declaration, first point, you are God's family. Um, The passage actually begins by saying, okay, so therefore put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander, and then like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. But in fact, this is not the beginning of our passage. To understand this passage, you need to look at how it begins. It begins with the word so, or in other other translations, use the word therefore. So what Peter is doing right out of the gate in chapter 2, he's building on what he shared in chapter 1. And how did he he end chapter 1? He ended with these words. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. In the word earnest, it means love one another with every fiber fiber in your being with a pure heart. For your brothers and sisters in Jesus. You're family, Tyler. We're family, Chuck. That's what he's saying. And that should impact everything, how we do relationships. And so he says, love one another earnestly. And then he uses this, this language, put away. But the word picture here is literally take off those old clothes. Going back to the flu-infested jersey sailor was bringing at me, right? Take off those old clothes. And you notice uh, the descriptions we see right away in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. He's like, okay, put away deceit. Put away hypocrisy. And then he even uses this word slander, which literally translated means unkind words. And especially if you're young, I just want you to take note. He's saying, put away unkind words not just to your own family or to your immediate church, but the church at large. Never speak ill of anyone. Put those things away. All those things, if you, if you look at them, they destroy relationship. And he's saying don't destroy relationship. Build relationship. Cultivate friendship. Cultivate love in how you live and do life together. This morning, as we were going through our, our service run-through, first thing before y'all got here, uh, one of our staff, he shared uh, when he was a young professional, a young guy, he got in a fight, a fist fight with his, his uh, brother. And he said he hit his brother so hard in the face that his ring, the impression of his ring, stuck to his brother's face. And uh, that's not a pretty sight, right? So he left his mark, a negative mark, on his brother, What Peter is saying, don't leave that kind of mark. Leave the mark of love on your family. Love one another as the church. And it reminds me also of a funeral I attended by an old mentor, Tom Wells, when we were living just outside of New York City several years ago. Uh, At at the funeral of Tom, uh, his family shared that every night at dinner, uh, they said the same prayer. And I want to share that prayer with you today. God made us a family. We need one another. We love one another. We forgive one another. We work together. We play together. We worship together. Together we use God's word. Together we grow in Christ. Together we love all men. Together we serve our God. 
Together we hope for heaven. These are our hopes and ideals. Help us to attain them, O God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Think about that. If we had that togetherness and that love, not only in our immediate homes, but in our church, how beautiful that picture would be. And that's what Peter is saying right out of the, you know, right out of the gate. He's like, uh, in Jesus, we're called to love one another. We are God's family. That's point one. The second thing Peter goes on to say is, hey, we or you are God's temple. And this is where things get really deep and rich with Old Testament truths, okay? So the passage goes on, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Yes, believe it or not, that song we sang about the house of Zion, that's not about the Duke basketball player Zion Williamson. That is about our hope in eternity, God coming back to dwell with man. And, and this is what Peter is alluding to here. Zion being a reverence to Jerusalem in a new temple where God would come with his glory and love and support and back his people. As we unfold this second point that we're the temple of God, I want to ask, do we have any builders in the house? Any builders? Okay. Any makeshift builders? You know, want to be builders? Okay. So I have a friend here on Daniel Island who decided to build a home out of pure concrete, right on the water, okay? And the foundation's concrete, the walls are concrete, each level floor is concrete, and so it makes sense that you need to have great strong support for this house to stand. Well, unfortunately, this friend, about halfway into the build, had the general contact contractor quit the job. So he became the GC, my friend. And uh, so then he's hiring out subs and doing this and that. He's a smart guy. But when it came to the time where they were installing the pillars to hold up the whole foundation and then this beam, he noticed that the beam was sagging. Okay? It's a 20-foot beam, 20 feet of steel, 12 inches wide. And he noticed it was sagging. So being the nerd he is, he started his calculations and he's like, something's wrong. And he started reaching out to people who know about building concrete houses. Sure enough, the beam was too small. And he turns to the person who's building the house or putting in the beam. And he's like, hey, like, here are my calculations, right? This doesn't look right. And the guy's like, oh, it'll be fine. If it was my house, I'd, I'd just keep it. How reassuring is that? Not very. So he had to then go back and redo all that support structure. And that gets to the heart of our passage. You see, the support that builds, excuse me, the support that holds the structure in its place is its most important piece, right? In Israel, all of Israel throughout the Old Testament had been waiting for this support or what's known as a cornerstone to be revealed. So all throughout the Old Testament, there's this promise in the Psalms and Isaiah 
that there's going to be this cornerstone. And back then, they would build these temples and these different facilities with stone. And the most important piece to support the whole structure was this cornerstone. I'm told, even in the early history of our country, uh, these cornerstones, when they were placed in Washington, D.C., there would be big celebrations. And in fact, if you go around D.C., there's plaques on various cornerstones on buildings there. And so all of Israel was looking for the cornerstone of God to be revealed. And this is especially true in the book of Daniel. Uh, This king, this kind of evil king, King Nebuchadnezzar, was having this horrific dream where he could no longer sleep. And uh, he called uh, the different sorcerers in his land to interpret the dream. They couldn't figure it out. And then he called on the Israelites even, those people that were exiled, held in captivity under his rule to interpret the dream. No one could figure it out. So he said, I want to kill all of them. Any interpreters, they're going to be slain. Until young David, excuse me, young Daniel, and his friends went to God in prayer and said, God, would you show up? Would you do something? And boy, did God show up. God interpreted the dream through Daniel. So Daniel went to Nebuchadnezzar and said, I know what dream you're having, and I want to share what it's all about. The dream you're having, it's of an image, right? An image of a man, right? Yes. A gold head, a beautiful head, and silver arms, and a silver chest, and bronze waist, and iron legs, right? This strong image, yes, yes, Daniel. And then out of the side of a mountain, not made from man, this stone is sourced and comes and crushes down this image. And let me tell you, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the golden head. And all these other elements to this body are kingdoms that will come after you. But this stone, this stone that's coming, this stone represents God's coming kingdom where you and all the kingdoms will be crushed And God, in his mercy and justice, will establish a kingdom forever. And you can only imagine the Israelites, as this story was passed on generation to generation, how they're longing for this stone, this cornerstone to come and serve as support and liberation and strength for the nation of Israel. And it took on a messianic tone. In Isaiah 28, we read, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. He who believes in it will not be put to shame. And more than just the strength of God coming with the stone would be the presence of lo- and love of God that would come with this stone. And so things took a wild turn where in Luke, you fast forward to the New Testament, Luke chapter 20, these religious right, these religious leaders, they're confronting Jesus. Where does your authority come from? And, and he shares this parable and then he says, by the way, the stone that the builders have rejected have become, has become the cornerstone and it will crush basically all who oppose it. He's basically saying, I am the cornerstone. And Peter affirms this. He says, as you come to him, a living stone 
rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In simple language, Peter's saying Jesus is this long-awaited stone. Jesus is the support, the strength that all of you need to liberate, to be liberated out of darkness into light. But then he takes it a step further, a step higher, in a way no one anticipated. And he says, and you guys, Carl, Kalen, Kelsey, you're now the living stones being built upon this cornerstone to be the spiritual house, the oikos, the temple of God where man meets with God. What? Wait, hold on. Like, these are people, these are kind of people all through Asia Minor. These are people in modern day Turkey, Jews and Gentiles. Peter, who's a Jew, has come a long way. You know, the Jews thought, no, we're the chosen people. We're, we're the race, right? And we're, we're supposed to, through the Jerusalem, through the temple. And Peter's saying, all of that has been fulfilled. Jesus is now the cornerstone. You want to meet with God, you meet with him, and you meet with you. You are the new temple of God. You, church, are the new meeting place of God. It's a staggering declaration. What does it mean? It means first, we are all insiders. I know, celebration. You're an insider with God through Jesus Christ. No matter your background, Jew, Gentile, male, female, you are welcomed into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. There's no barrier that will hold you back. We are all insiders. And the language is plural. Together, we are the dwelling place of God. Is it beautiful to make a pilgrimage to Israel, to Jerusalem? Absolutely. But the sacred place is no longer there. It's here. That's what Peter's saying. It's in you, a living, vibrant community of faith. So when we gather on Sunday mornings, it's not just about attracting people to a service. It's about building and being the dwelling place of God with man. When you're on the men's hike, Dan, when you're in a community group, right? When you're together, it's why Jesus says, where two or three gather in my name, I'm in their midst. God is doing something radical here, built on an ancient foundation, ancient promise, not just through Jesus, but in you, in us. We're all insiders, and together, we're the dwelling place of God. So we're called to be the family of God, and the temple of God. Beautiful promise. And third, he says, you are God's people, the people of God. And just when you think, oh, think about you know, 4th of July fireworks. Oh, that was an amazing display. Then there's the finale. Peter just goes, whoo, whoo, and he starts throwing Old Testament scriptures up one after another. Boom, boom, boom. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And he's pulling here from the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, uh, the book of Isaiah, and the book of Hosea. I mean, he's all in. And he's saying, Jesus is all in with you. Uh, when, I, when I read this, I thought about P.E. as a kid. Do you guys remember P.E. class, physical education class? Like, I grew up in a small uh, town in Florida. And a P.E., looking back, was one of the most shame-based uh, classes I ever experienced. And not really for me, but for others. Uh, why? Well, a, a big uh, portion of the people where I'm from are immigrants. A lot of them can't speak English. And, um, and so what do you do at PE? Well, you play games, and there's these teams that are chosen. Do you remember being chosen for a team? Where you're chosen? And what like pride or shame that would cause? Sometime I was chosen first, second, and I have this kind of, yeah, I'm glad you recognize it. But then I'd see the kids that weren't chosen or chosen last in the shame on their face. And of course, I was chosen last at times too. Can you relate? And what this passage is saying is in Jesus, we are all chosen and we are one people. And this has very strong significance for the divisions in our country and world right now. According to Professor Karen Jobes of my undergrad alma mater, Wheaton, she writes, Peter here makes the radical claim that those who believe in Jesus Christ, whether Jew, Gentile, Greek, Roman, Cappadocian, Bithynian, or whatever, though from many races constitute a new race of those who have been born again into the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here is the foundational cure for the evils of racism in human society. In Jesus, we are being crafted. We are being called into a new race, a new people, a new nation that transcends all the barriers that divide us. We're all insiders. We're all called to dwell together. But this is beyond that. This is a game-changing notion, right? And beyond just being members of this good news, God calls us to be messengers of this good news. For the passage continues, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. We're called to be both members and messengers of the gospel. Last illustration I'll use this morning is this. I grew up near Disney World. I wasn't in Orlando. I was about an hour south. Nonetheless, we would make the, uh, the pilgrimage to Disney. And one of my favorite attractions was Pirates of the Caribbean. Anyone remember that, that ride? So the, you go in this little boat, and it's foggy, and there's cannons shooting at each other through the pirate ships. And you come around this corner, and there's these guys in jail, like, reaching out. Reaching out for what? Well, there's this dog, right? There's this dog with this ring. And on the ring, there's keys, you got this one guy, I know y'all remember this if you've been, he's going, you remember that face? Why do I say that? Peter's saying, you have the keys to now set people free. 
out of darkness that you have known into light where they're all alone, they're downtrodden, hopeless. You now, with the good news of Jesus, you are called to share this good news and set people free. The language here is one of exile and redemption. It's language out of the Israelites' captivity being brought out of Egypt and brought out of exile later in Isaiah. We're not just called to be God's family in his temple. We're called to be a new people that proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So in summary, if we have tasted God's goodness, we will display God's glory. We will be a community of love as the family of God. We will learn to check ourselves, not leave harsh marks by our words or our actions, but we will learn to build one another up, to be with one another no matter what. Dave, through thick or thin, I'm supposed to have your back and, and vice versa. Some of you know what darkness is light and some of you have the gift of relationship in this room of people walking with you in this season. We're called to love one another, be the family of God. We're also called to be a community of presence, the dwelling place of God, a people of Hope that have access. What does that mean? What do priests do? They introduce people to God and, and God to people. They're mediators. They pray. They petition. They praise God. That's what we're doing here today. We're called to be a special community, a dwelling place, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. And lastly, we're called to be a community of proclamation, where you not only carry the good news, you share it. Hey, I... I see you're struggling. You want to talk about it? You, you, you struggle with that addiction? I, I also have struggled with that. You're struggling in your marriage? Well, yeah, can we walk with you? Can we pray with you? Have you heard about the DI Fellowship? See, a band of misfits loved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Come and check it out. We're called to be the people of God. I don't know about you, but this is kind of it's elevating Old Testament promises, not just through Jesus, but through us. Let's be the family. Let's be uh, the temple, and let's be the people of God. To one another and to our world in need, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, first we celebrate the remarkable liberation we have in Jesus Christ, that he is the cornerstone and that through him we've been born again into a new promise. In this world, it's not as good as it gets. But we're called to be in this world a people of love, presence, and proclamation, God. So we pray that you would capture our minds and our hearts, what that would look like as we leave this place. If we need to apologize, may we have the courage to apologize. May you just go with us and have your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.